are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Bird migration is the regular seasonal movement, often north and south, along a flyway between breeding and wintering grounds undertaken by many species of birds. Migration which carries high costs in predation and mortality including from hunting by humans is driven primarily by availability of food. Migration occurs mainly in the Northern Hemisphere, where birds are funneled onto specific routes by natural barriers, such as the Mediterranean Sea or the Caribbean Sea. Historically, migration has been recorded as much as 3,000 years ago by ancient Greek authors, including Homer and Aristotle, and in the book of Job for species such as storks, turtle doves, and swallows. More recently, scientists have begun recording dates of arrival of spring migrants in Finland in 1749, and scientific studies have used techniques including bird ringing or banding and satellite tracking. Threats to migratory birds have grown with habitat destruction, especially of stopover and wintering sites, as well as structures such as power lines and wind farms. The Arctic Tern holds the long-distance migration record for birds traveling between 
Arctic breeding grounds and the Antarctic each year. Some species of tube noses, such as albatrosses, circle the Earth, flying over the southern oceans, while others, such as Manx shearwaters, migrate 14,000 kilometers or 8,700 miles between their northern breeding grounds and the southern ocean. Shorter migrations are common, including altitudinal migrations on mountains, such as the Andes and the Himalayas. The timing of migration is controlled primarily by changes in day length. Migrating birds navigate using celestial cues from the sun and the stars. The Earth's magnetic field and probably also mental maps. Migration has developed independently in different groups of birds and does not appear to require genetic change. Some birds have acquired migratory behavior since the last ice age 10,000 years ago. Migration is the regular seasonal movement, often north and south, undertaken by many species of birds. Bird movements include those made in response to change in food availability, habitat, or weather. Sometimes journeys are not termed true migrations because they are irregular. Nomadism, invasions, interruptions, or only in one direction, dispersible, movement a young away from natal areas. Migration is marked by its annual seasonality. Non-migratory birds are said to be resident or sedentary. Approximately 1,800 of the world's 10,000 bird species are long-distance migrants. Many bird populations migrate long distances along a flyway. The most common pattern involves flying north in the spring to breed in the temperate or arctic summer and returning in the autumn to wintering grounds in warmer regions of the south. Of course, in the southern hemisphere, the directions are reversed, but there is less land area in the far south to support long-distance migration. The primary motivation for migration appears to be food. For example, some hummingbirds choose not to migrate if fed through the winter. Also, the longer days of the northern summer provide extended time for breeding birds to feed their young. This helps dinural birds 
to produce larger clutches than related non-migratory species that remain in the tropics. As the days shorten in autumn, the birds return to warmer regions where the available food supply varies little with the season. The advantages offset the high stress, physical exertion costs, and other risks of the migration, such as predation. Predation can be heightened during migration. The Eleonora's falcon, which breeds on Mediterranean islands, has a very late breeding season, coordinated with the autumn passage of the southbound passerine migrants, which it feeds to its young. A similar strategy is adopted by the greater nocturnal bat, which preys on nocturnal passerine migrants. The higher concentration of migrating birds at stopover sites makes them prone to parasites and pathogens, which requires a heightened immune response. Within a species, not all populations may be migratory. This is known as partial migration. Partial migration is very common in the southern continents. In Australia, 44% of non-passerine birds and 32% of passerine species are partially migratory. In some species, the population at higher latitudes tends to be migratory and will often winter at lower latitudes. The migrating birds bypass the latitudes where other populations may be sedentary, where suitable wintering habits may already be occupied. This is an example of leapfrog migration. Many fully migratory species show leapfrog migration. Birds that nest at higher latitudes spend the winter at lower latitudes, and many show the alternative chain migration, where populations slide more evenly north and south without reversing order. Within a population, it is common for different ages and or sexes to have different patterns of timing and distance. Female chaffinches in eastern Phenoscadia migrate earlier in the autumn than the males do. Most migrations begin with the birds starting off in a broad front. Often, this front narrows into one or more preferred routes termed flyways. These routes typically follow mountain ranges or coastlines, sometimes rivers, and may take advantage of updrafts and other wind patterns, or avoid geographical barriers, such as large stretches of open water. 
The specific routes may be genetically programmed or learned to varying degrees. The routes taken on forward and return migrations are often different. A common pattern in North America is clockwise migration, where birds flying north tend to be further west and flying south tend to shift eastwards. Many, if not most birds, migrate in flocks. For larger birds, flying in flocks reduces the energy cost. Geese in a V formation may conserve 12 to 20% of the energy they would need to fly alone. Red knots and dunlins were found in radar studies to fly five kilometers per hour faster in flocks than when they were flying alone. Birds fly at varying altitudes during migration. An expedition to Mount Everest found skeletons of pintail and blacktail godwit at 5,000 meters or 16,000 feet on the Kumbu Glacier. Bar-headed geese have been recorded by GPS flying up to 6,500 meters while crossing the Himalayas, at the same time engaging in the highest rates of climb to altitude for any bird. Anecdotal reports of them flying much higher have yet to be corroborated with any direct evidence. Seabirds fly low over water, but gain altitude when crossing land, and the reverse pattern is seen in land birds. However, most bird migration is in the range of 150 meters, or 500 feet, to 600 meters, or 2,000 feet. Bird hit aviation records from the United States show that most collisions occur below 600 meters or 2,000 feet and almost none above 1,800 meters or 6,000 feet. Bird migration is not limited to birds that can fly. Most species of penguin migrate by swimming. These routes can cover over a thousand kilometers. The blue grouse performs altitudinal migrations mostly by walking. Emus in Australia have been observed to undertake long distance movements on foot during droughts. Records of bird migrations were made 3,000 years ago by the ancient Greek writers Herisod, Homer, Herodotus, and Aristotle. The Bible also notes migrations, as in the book of Job, chapter 39, verse 26, where the inquiries made 
Doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch her wings towards the south? Also the author of Jeremiah, chapter 8, verse 7, wrote, The stork in the heavens knoweth her appointed time, and the turtle dove and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. Aristotle noted that cranes traveled from the steppes of Scythia to the marshes of the headwater of the Nile. Pliny the Elder, in his Historia Naturalis, repeats Aristotle's observations. Aristotle, however, suggested that swallows and other birds hibernated. This belief persisted as late as the year 1878, when Elliot Coos listed the titles of no less than 182 papers dealing with the hibernation of swallows. Even the highly observant Gilbert White, in his posthumously published 1789 article, The Natural History of Selborne, quoted a man's story about swallows being found in a chalk cliff collapse while he was a schoolboy at Brythlinstone, though the man denied being an eyewitness. However, he also writes that, as to swallows being found in a torpid state during the winter in the Isle of Wight or any part of this country, I've never heard any such account worth attending to and that if early swallows happen to find frost and snow, they immediately withdraw for a time. A circumstance this much more in favor of hiding than migration, since he doubts they would return for a week or two to warmer latitudes. It was not till the end of the 18th century that migration as an explanation for the winter disappearance of birds from northern climes was accepted. Think about that. What if you lived at that time and all the birds disappeared and you had no way to follow them? What would you think? Thomas Beckwick's A History of British Birds, Volume 1, 1797, mentions a report from a very intelligent master of a vessel who between the islands of Menorca and Majorca, saw great numbers of swallows flying northwards and states the situation in Britain as follows. Quote, swallows frequently roost at night after they begin to congregate by the sides of rivers and pools from which circumstances it has been erroneously supposed that they retire into the water. Benwick then describes an experiment which succeeded in keeping swallows alive in Britain for several years, where they remained warm and dry through the winter. He concludes, These experiments have since been amplified, confirmed by Mr. Natters of Vienna, and the results clearly proves that what is in fact now admitted on all hands that swallows do not in any material instance differ from other birds in their nature and propensities 
but that they leave us when this country can no longer furnish them with a supply of their proper and natural food. Finally, the secret of migration had been cracked. And this was in the late 18th century. The typical image of migration is a northern land bird such as swallows and birds of prey making long flights to the tropics. However, many whole arctic wildflower and finch species winter in the north temperate zone, but in regions with milder winters than their summer breeding grounds. For example, the pink-footed goose migrates from Iceland to Britain and neighboring countries, while the dark-eyed junco migrates from subarctic to arctic climates to the continuous United States, and the American goldfinch from Tiaga to wintering grounds extending from the American south northwestward to western Oregon. Migratory routes and wintering grounds are traditional and learned by young during their first migration with their parents. Some ducks, such as the gargany, move completely or partially into the tropics. The European pied flycatcher also follows this migratory trend, breeding in Asia and Europe and wintering in Africa. The same consideration about barriers and detours that apply to long-distance land bird migrations apply to water birds, but in reverse, a large area of land without bodies of water that offer feeding sites is a barrier to many and may be a barrier to birds that feed in coastal waters. Detours avoiding such barriers observed, for example, Brent geese migrating from Taminar Peninsula to the Wadden Sea travel via the White Sea coast and the Baltic Sea rather than directly across the Arctic Ocean and northern Scandinavia. A similar situation occurs with waders called shorebirds in North America. Many species, such as Dunlin and Western Sandpiper, undertake long movements from their Arctic breeding grounds to warmer locations in the same hemisphere. But others, such as semi-palmated Sandpiper, travel longer distances to the tropics in the southern hemisphere. Like the large and powerful wildfowl, the waders are strong flyers. This means that birds wintering in temperate regions have the capacity to make further, shorter movements in the event of particularly inclement weather. For some species of waders, migration success depends on the availability of certain key food resources at stopover points along the migration route. This gives the migrants an opportunity 
to refuel for the next leg of the voyage. Some examples of important stopover locations are the Bay of Fundy and Delaware Bay. Some bar-tailed godwits have the longest known non-stop flight of any migrant flying an amazing 11,000 kilometers from Alaska to their New Zealand non-breeding areas. That's non-stop. Prior to migration, 55% of their body weight is stored fat to fuel this uninterrupted journey. Seabird migration is similar in pattern to those of the waders and waterfowl. Some, such as the black guillemot and some gulls, are quite sedentary. Others, such as most terns and auks, breedings in the temperate northern hemisphere, move varying distances south in the northern winter. The Arctic tern has the longest distance migration of any bird and sees more daylight than any other, moving from its Arctic breeding grounds to the Antarctic non-breeding area. One Arctic tern that was ringed or banded as a chick on the Farne Islands off the British East Coast reached Melbourne, Australia in just three months from a fledgling. A sea journey of over 22,000 kilometers or 14,000 miles. That is amazing. A few seabirds such as Wilson's petrel and Great Shearwater, breed in the southern hemisphere and migrate north in the southern winter. Seabirds have the additional advantage of being able to feed during migration over open waters. The most pelagic species, mainly in the tube nose order Procelliferiformes, are great wanderers, and the albatrosses of the southern oceans may circle the globe as they ride the roaring forties outside the breeding season, which means latitude 40 degrees. The tube noses spread widely over large areas of open ocean, but congregate when food becomes available. Many are also among the long-distance migrants. Sooty shearwaters, nesting on the Falkland Islands, migrate 14,000 kilometers or 8,700 miles between the breeding colony and the North Atlantic Ocean off Norway. Some Manx shearwaters do this same journey in reverse. As they are long-lived birds, they may cover enormous distances during their lives. One record-braiding Manx shearwater is calculated to have flown 8 million kilometers 
or 5 million miles during its over 50-year lifespan. That is also amazing. Some large, broad-winged birds rely on thermal columns of rising hot air to enable them to soar. These include many birds of prey, such as vultures, eagles, and buzzards, but also storks. These birds migrate in the daytime. Migratory species in these groups have great difficulty crossing large bodies of water. Since thermals only form over land, and these birds cannot maintain active light flight for long distances. Mediterranean and other seas present a major obstacle to soaring birds, which must cross at the narrowest point. Massive numbers of large raptors and storks pass through areas such as Gibraltar, Falsterbo, and the Bosphorus at migration times. More common species, such as the European honey buzzard, can be counted in hundreds and thousands in autumn. Other barriers, such as mountain ranges, can also cause funneling, particularly of large dineural migrants. This is a notable factor in the Central American migratory bottleneck. Batumi bottleneck in the Caucasus is one of the heaviest migrated funnels on Earth. Avoiding flying over the Black Sea surface and across high mountains, hundreds of thousands of soaring birds funnel through an area around the city of Batumi, Georgia. It has been suggested that birds of prey, such as honey buzzards, which migrate using thermals, may benefit from losing 10 to 20% of their weight. And this may explain why they forage less on migration than do smaller birds of prey with more active flights, such as falcons, hawks, and harriers. Many of the smaller insectivorous birds, including the warblers, hummingbirds, and flycatchers, migrate large distances, usually at night. They land in the morning and may feed for a few days before resuming their migration. The birds are referred to as passage migrants in the regions where they occur for short durations between the origin and the destination. Nocturnal migrates minimize predation, avoid overheating, and feed during the day. One cost of nocturnal migration is the loss of sleep. Migrants may be able to alter their quality of sleep to compensate for the loss. 
many long-distance migrants appear to be genetically programmed to respond to changing day length. Species that move short distances, however, may not need such a timing mechanism and may move in response to local weather conditions. The mountain and moorland breeders, such as wall creeper and white-throated dipper, may move only altitudinally to escape the cold, higher ground. Other species, such as merlin and skylark, will move further to the coast or to a more southerly region. Species like the common chuffinch are not migratory in Britain, but move south or to Ireland in very cold weather. Short-distance passerine migrants have two evolutionary origins. Those that have long-distance migrants in the same family, such as the common chiffchaff, are species of southern hemisphere origins that have progressively shortened their return migrations to stay in the northern hemisphere. Species that have no long-distance migratory relatives, such as the whack wings, are effectively moving in response to winter weather and the loss of their usual winter food, rather than enhanced breeding opportunities. In the tropics, there is little variation in the length of day throughout the year, and it is always warm enough for a food supply. Although, because of competition, there may not be enough food for every bird. Migration within the tropics has been far less studied than in temperate zones. It was once assumed that tropical birds were mostly sedentary. However, altitudinal migration and other within-tropic movements appears to be surprisingly common. Many tropical regions have wet and dry seasons, inducing some birds to migrate or wander wildly to find food. Indeed, the monsoons of India are preceded by the arrival of the Jacobin cuckoo, the harbinger of the monsoon. Other examples include the woodland kingfisher of West Africa and many Australian birds. There are a few species, notably cuckoos, which are genuine long-distance migrants within the tropics. An example would be the lesser cuckoo, which breeds in India and spends the non-breeding season in Africa. Such examples help make the case that food supplies, not weather per se, drive migration patterns. Adentulinum migration is common on mountains worldwide, such as the Himalayas and the Andes. Quite often, the adentulinum migration is combined with distance migration. 
For example, the Himalayan Kashmir flycatcher and the pied thrush both move as far south as the highlands of Sri Lanka. Attitudinal migratory may be even more important to birds living on relatively small islands, such as the Hawaiian Islands, which have high mountains. Sometimes, circumstances such as good breeding seasons, followed by a food source failure the following year, lead to interruptions in which large numbers of species move far beyond their normal range. Bohemian waxwings well show this unpredictable variation in annual numbers, with five major arrivals in Britain during the 19th century, but 18 between the years 1937 and 2000. Red crossbills, too, are interruptive, with Invasions noted in 1251, 1593, 1757, and 1791. The temperate zones of the southern continents have extensive arid areas, particularly in Australia and western southern Africa, and weather-driven movements are common but not always predictable. A couple of weeks of heavy rain in one part or another of the usually dry center of Australia, for example, causes dramatic plant and invertebrate growth, attracting birds from all directions. This can happen at any time of the year and in any given area may not happen again for a decade or more, depending on the frequency of El Nino and La Nina periods. Bird migration is primarily, but not entirely, a northern hemisphere phenomenon. In the southern hemisphere, seasonal migration tends to be much less obvious, and there are several reasons for this. First, the largely uninterrupted expanses of land mass or ocean tend not to funnel migrations into narrow and obvious pathways, making them less obvious to the human observer. Second, at least for terrestrial birds, climatic regions tend to fade into one another over a long distance rather than be entirely separate. This means that rather than make long trips over unsuitable habitat to reach particular destinations, migrant species can usually travel at a relaxed pace, feeding as they go. Short of banding studies, it is often not obvious that the birds seen in any particular locality as the seasons change are in fact different members of the same species 
passing through, gradually working their way north or south. Many species do in fact breed in the temperate southern hemisphere regions and winter further north in the tropics. The southern African greater striped swallow and the Australian satin flycatcher, dollar bird, and rainbow bee eater, for example, winters well north of their breeding range. The control of migration, its timing and response are genetically controlled and appear to be a primitive trait that is present even in non-migratory species of birds. The ability to navigate and orient themselves during migration is a much more complex phenomena that may include both endogenous programs as well as learning. Timing is crucial. The primary physiological cue for migration are the changes in day length. These changes are also related to hormonal changes in the birds. In the period before migration, Many birds display higher activity, or Zungudre, which is German for migratory restlessness, as well as physiological changes, such as increased fat deposition. The occurrence of this migratory restlessness, even in caged raged birds, with no environmental cues, example shortening the day and falling temperatures, has pointed to the role of circumannual endogenous programs in controlling bird migration. Cage birds display a preferential flight direction that corresponds with the migratory direction they would take in nature even changing their preferential direction at roughly the same time, their wild conspecifics change course. In species where there is polygyny and with considerable sexual dimorphisms, there is a tendency for males to return earlier to the breeding sites than their females. This is termed as protandry. Then there is orientation and navigation. Navigation is based on a variety of senses. Many birds have been shown to use a sun compass. Using the sun for direction involves the need for making compensations based on time. Navigation has also been shown to be based on a combination of other abilities, including the ability to detect magnetic fields, 
magnoception. Use visual landmarks as well as olfactory cues. Long distant migrants are believed to disperse as young birds and form attachments to potential breeding sites and to favorite wintering sites. Once the site attachment is made, they show high site fidelity, visiting the same wintering sites year after year. The ability of birds to navigate during migrations cannot be fully explained by endogenous programming. Even with the help of responses to environmental cues, the ability to successfully perform long-distance migrations can probably only be fully explained with an accounting for the cognitive ability of the birds to recognize habitats and form mental maps. Satellite tracking of day-migrating raptors such as ospreys and honey buzzards, has shown that older individuals are better at making corrections for wind drift. As the circumcanal pattern indicate, there is a strong genetic component to migration in the terms of timing and route, but this may be modified by environmental influences. An interesting example where a change of migration route has occurred because of such a geographical barrier is the trend for some blackcaps in Central Europe to migrate west and winter in Britain rather than cross the Alps. I can't say I don't blame them. Migratory birds may use two electromagnetic tools to find their destination. One that is entirely innate and the other that relies on experience. A young bird in its first migration flies in the correct direction according to the Earth's magnetic field, but does not know how far the journey will be. It does this through a radical pair mechanism whereby chemical reactions in special photopigments sensitive to long wavelengths are affected by the field. Although this works only during daylight hours, it does not use the position of the sun in any way. At this stage, the bird is similar to a Boy Scout with a compass, but no map. Until it grows accustomed to the journey and can put its other faculties to use. With experience, they learn various landmarks, and this mapping is done by magnetites in the trigeminal system which tells the birds how strong the field is. Because birds migrate between northern and southern regions, 
the magnetic field strings at different latitudes, let it interpret the radical pair mechanism more accurately, and let it know when it has reached the destination. More recent research has found a neural connection between the eye and the cluster N, the part of the forebrain that is active during migrational orientation, suggesting that the birds may actually be able to see mag- the magnetic field of the Earth. Wow, that would be truly, truly amazing. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.